uh, let's go back to the topic of race relations and in particular the idea of slavery, which of course is a fairly inextricably linked to the idea of race, particularly in the United States. But when it comes to Ireland, the story of Irish involvement in the anti-slavery movement is embodied by the relationship between Daniel O'Connell and a guy whose name you may have heard before, a guy called Frederick Douglass. In fact, such was the relationship between Daniel O'Connell and Frederick Douglass that it was even mentioned by Barack Obama during his speech at the College Green in Dublin back in 2011. But the story of Ireland's opposition to slavery neither began nor ended with Daniel O'Connell and many of the key names in Ireland's resistance to that are totally forgotten and thankfully Donald Fallon has come along this lunchtime to remind us of some of those names. Donald, how are you? Good to be here, Gavin. Good uh, to be here. It's, uh, Frank, Frederick Douglass's words are back in the world recently and not just because uh, Barack Obama was recalling them nine years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And I think re- recent weeks in, in the United States, but also more broadly, I think in, it's fair to say in a global sense, you know, there's been this renewed interest in, in the history of, of race and race relations. And the idea for this slot uh, was put into my head by the appearance of a, I was watching the, the, the American TV news and this banner appeared across the street in New York City with the words of Frederick Douglass proclaiming that if there is no struggle, there is there is no progress. So Douglass is one of these kind of figures from 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 the, the, the long history, if you will, of abolitionism in America, who is now propelled back into the news cycle as a result of, of what's happening. Um, he was mentioned in Ireland and he was known because of his relationships with Daniel O'Connell. But for a lot of people, 2011 probably would have been their introduction to him. And what, what an incredible week that was in 2011. I mean, we had the royal visit, then we had Obama straight after it. It feels like a lifetime ago now. What, what it reminds me of, actually, because that, that being 2011 and it was just after there'd been a general election. It was only about six months after the Troika had came and it had that sense of people coming to visit the house before someone passes away. You know, you're seeing all your friends <laughs> just before you shuffle along. It kind of had that sense of defeatism to it. It, it propelled the name of Douglas in, into, into Irish consciousness, I think, Obama's speech. And the name O'Connell was propelled, you know, into American consciousness uh, around that same time Colin McCann wrote a brilliant book called Transatlantic in mm. uh, 2013 that was a massive success in the United States of America so almost simultaneously you had Irish people very interested in this guy Frederick Douglass and Americans hearing about Daniel O'Connell and the relationship between these two men was explored and Ireland to be honest had an electric impact uh, on Frederick Douglass he writes very movingly from this country he says I've spent some of the happiest moments of my life since landing in this country I seem to have undergone a transformation I live a new life but, you know, in truth, Daniel O'Connell, he was just one part of a much bigger picture than himself. You know, there were other people we're learning about in this slot today, contemporaries of O'Connell, who were every bit as significant, if not more, more important to the story. But I think what is very, very clear is that, that Ireland was a frequent stop on these kind of tours. And when we zoom out a little bit, you know, when we get away from, from Douglas, we find that actually there was a, a kind of long succession of influential black anti-slavery speakers who would visit Ireland from, from the late 18th century right on after Douglas's day. Yeah, and we'll maybe tease out what it was that maybe made Ireland so attractive to them or why their message seemed to chime so much. But I suppose it is worth noting that slavery had, had come into Irish political debate uh, you know, decades before Frederick Douglass was around, even as far back as the 1790s. Yeah, there was a real enlightened time, you know, and these big political ideas, of course, are being thrown around in Irish politics for the first time. And, and the biggest idea of them all really was republicanism. You know, the American Revolution, the French Revolution had just transformed the way people thought about the, the possibilities of the world. And in Ireland, you had the, the Society of, of United Irishmen born in Belfast uh, and Dublin. And they, I mean, we think of those names, we know them all from school, Wolf Tone and the like. We think of them as, as Irish nationalists. But in many ways, there were as much internationalists, you know, and they marched through the streets of Belfast on Bastille Day behind a banner that says, now this, this is a lot of words for a banner, but behind a banner that says, can the African slave trade, though morally wrong, be politically right? So these people were not only thinking about hmm. what was Ireland's relationship 
with the British Empire. They're asking other broader questions about, you know, how does that empire function? What is the the the, the role of black people within that empire? And into this atmosphere steps this amazing character called uh, Alada Equiano. And there's a name. I mean, Frederick Douglass is somewhat known. This guy Equiano is just totally faded into into obscurity here. Born in present day Nigeria in the 1740s. Later gains his freedom, writes a great book called The Interesting Narrative of the Life of Alada Equiano. And this, you know, former black slave arrives into the melting pot of 1790s Ireland. Yeah, and you've, you've written in your notes here about just how extensively he travelled in Ireland and he, he really seemed to, to like the place. It really seemed to, to strike a chord with him. He, he sails from Liverpool, which was a city... I mean, Liverpool benefited enormously from the slave trade. I think Liverpool has always grappled with that. And if you, if, you, if you ever visit Liverpool, there's a great museum dedicated to the story of slavery that talks about the role of a lot of Liverpool merchants and profiteering off it. Mm. But he sails to Dublin from Liverpool, makes his way down to Cork, uh, goes up to Belfast, but stops off in lots of places on the way. So, you know, he encounters all kinds of people, including many people who can't speak English, which he's kind of fascinated by. And he writes, I was everywhere exceedingly well treated by persons of all ranks. So you have this this incredible thing. And a, a black man wouldn't have been that unusual in Dublin, Belfast or Cork because they were, they were thriving ports. You know, they were connected to the world beyond okay. their own shores. But some of the other places that Equiano dropped off into on his on his journey, they had probably never seen, never encountered uh, a black person before he went there. When Douglas comes in the in the 1840s, things are very different 50 years on. I mean, Ireland is in tremendous economic hardship. The Act of Union had happened. The economy had had collapsed. But the anti-slavery movement was still there. But it was a much broader thing. And now it wasn't just Irish nationalists. You know, you had a lot of Quakers that were at the forefront of it. And, and the leading body, if you will, in trying to shape public opinion, brilliantly named organisation, the Hibernian Anti-Slavery Association. Um, I find it really remarkable that the idea that Equiano was knocking around in like the 1790s and people seemed very accepting and that there was nothing particularly exotic about a black person visiting one of the major cities and then 50 years later not only has there been this kind of economic regression but that people have become that bit more insular that suddenly now these mm. things that they're, they're almost othered by the fact that they're not seen around um, quite as much. Uh, by the time Douglas then comes which is the, the 1840s then the, leave, the, the leading anti-slavery figures have really changed by then. And their names, I just totally forgotten in Ireland today. Richard D. Webb, he, he's the man who organises Douglas's visit to Ireland. You know, he books the route. Douglas speaks something like 50 times in a couple of weeks, in, in a couple of months in Ireland, but 50 times he speaks publicly, which is extraordinary. Wow. I don't think there's any politician today who could do, you know, 50 uh, public meetings, even in, 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 in an election cycle. Absolutely incredible. And he gets the book printed while Douglas is in Ireland. That's a very rare edition of the book now. Richard Allen, Dublin-born Quaker. I mean, the Quakers... We talked about Bewley's not too long ago. They have a, a great tradition of this kind of uh, activism. And Richard Webb in particular travels to this great big anti-slavery society convention in London in 1840. It's just a massive international gathering, black and white voices opposed to slavery. O'Connell goes as well. But the global perception at the time is that this guy, Richard D. Webb, this you know Dublin guy, he is the leading voice as far as Ireland is concerned in the anti-slavery world. If Webb is the guy who organises Douglas's visit and helps to arrange this this mammoth speaking tour, as you'd said, is it fair to assume that they, they probably got on fairly well, that it was a real they, meeting of minds? They did. And Douglas really liked Webb because, you know, in his own words, he spoke to him as an equal and he was willing to disagree with him and to argue with him. And I think what really annoyed Douglas was, uh, you know, when you were around white abolitionists, uh, they would agree with everything you said, whether they agreed with it or not, because you were black. They were afraid of disagreeing with you. But Douglas thought there was something great about this guy, Webb, because, you know, he would trash out politics with him. He would argue and he wasn't afraid to say, you know, Frederick, I think you're I think you're wrong on that. So as far as Douglas was concerned, that was treating him like a, like an absolute equal. And he is the main kind of mover and shaker in you know, propelling the plight of black people 
uh, into into Irish consciousness. Uh, probably easy forgotten in the midst of all of this as well. And you talk about the speaking tours that the likes of Douglas went on, and that maybe he inspired other Irish things. But he in two was inspired by what he saw because obviously him being around in the eighteen forties meant that he saw a lot of Daniel O'Connell in his own pomp as well. He, he saw the two great speakers of the day. One was Father Theobald Matthew, the kind of the temperance advocate, you know, getting people to take the pledge, and the other one was was Daniel O'Connell. And the way he talks about O'Connell is just brilliant. He says his eloquence came down upon the vast assembly like a summer thunder shower upon a dusty road. I mean, that's wow. beautiful stuff. That, that's that's Con Hoolan stuff, you know, <laughs> perhaps more than, than meeting and, and seeing O'Connell. I think Douglas, like uh, Equiano before him, he was really moved by ordinary Irish people, the plight of the very poor. He talks about people queuing up to touch his hair. You know, they just, they'd never seen anyone quite like him before. And the visit challenged some of his own preconceptions too. I mean, Irish people probably had preconceptions about black people, but mm. Douglas was deeply Protestant. And now he found himself in a land full of the Catholic poor. You know, he was an Anglophile. And now he found himself in a country where many people wanted to break the connections with that world. So I think it never really left him. You know, he, he had to rethink his worldview as much as Ireland had to rethink it uh, when, when, when he came here. And it wasn't, I don't think it was really until Obama uh, in 2011 that that name, Frederick Douglass, you know, came back into our minds here. Um, Douglass, of course, being a former slave himself, obviously he had a much more potent way of viewing the whole um, issue of, of race relations and slavery. But he wasn't the last former slave to end up coming to Ireland to speak about his experiences. And a dig into the newspaper archives just reveals lots of them, and sometimes surprising ones. Sarah Parker Remond, who's, who's is a black American woman, hosted by what's called the, the Dublin Ladies Anti-Slavery Society. I mean, that there even was an organisation called the Dublin Ladies Anti-Slavery Society mm. is interesting in itself. But some people in Ireland, I mean, we shouldn't be rose-tinted about the past and say, oh, everyone in Ireland was against slavery and aren't we great? A lot of people at the time were asking, you know, what does this have to do with us? And The Nation, which was one of the, the big kind of 19th century Irish nationalist newspapers, said, look, we have really so very urgent affairs at home that all our exhortations will be needed in Ireland. Carolina planters never devoured our substance. Our enemies are nearer home than Carolina. So some in Ireland argued that this was something of a sideshow we shouldn't be concerned with. But there was there was always a section of Irish society who looked at things very, very differently from I that. I suppose there's always a, an argument about international relations. We even see it in some of the papers today about the minute silence for George Floyd and the Dole during the week. Some people saying, listen, this is all well and good, but we have bigger problems closer to home and maybe we should be focusing about them instead. Um, how is it, do you reckon, that uh, you know the, the relationship between Daniel O'Connell and Frederick Douglass can be so well known or at least so, so well revived in the last 10 years or so? And yet some of the other names that you've mentioned here about Webb and, and others that they've completely just for, forgotten, they've fallen out of public consciousness. Because I think we all learn history in a certain way. We all remember history in a certain way. And, and you know, the, the way we think of the War of Independence, it's Collins, it, it, it's De Valera. It's easy to see how the O'Connell Douglas story becomes the story of something much bigger because the great man narrative is always very popular, you know, and they don't really come much greater. I mean, O'Connell and Douglas are these two larger than life characters. So I think they were they were such a presence in their own respective fields. That, you know, they've just dominated the story. Every day I actually walk by the house of one of the guys we talked about today, Richard Allen in, in Harold's Cross. And the house is just decaying. There's not, not so much as a plaque on it, you know. And it's a mm. reminder of the manner in which sometimes remarkable people, Allen, Richard D. Webb, remarkable people who are very much ahead of their time, they can just fall through the cracks of history and be totally forgotten. Is there anywhere in Dublin that you're looking forward to hitting now that you're allowed to go 20 kilometres <laughs> that you have the full breadth of the county at your disposal from tomorrow morning? <laughs> I've, been, I've been happy, you know. Well, I, I'm able to go into the city centre now properly, which is which is nice. But mm. uh, yeah, I, I, I hope by the end of the year we'll be back doing walking tours. But but who knows? It's all, it's all ahead of us. Well, as long as you're allowed to do them outdoors and allows people have unencumbered movement throughout the city, maybe 
maybe sooner rather than later. Uh, Donald, <laughs> as ever, thanks so much for, for guiding us through all that fascinating stuff. Donald Fallon is a historian. He is the author of the Come Here To Me books and he's the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast, which you'll find anywhere you get your podcasts on the interwebs. 